The Maimer we're starting this morning is a Maimer from Torah Ar, from the Alter Rebbe, and it's a Purim Maimer. You ready for Purim? Mm-hmm. This year we have a longer wait till Purim, but we also have a more Purim Dika atmosphere for longer, because we start Adar Aleph, and from the beginning of Adar Aleph we're already thinking about Purim. And although it's going to be more than a month until we're actually going to see Purim, but we're going to have along the way, first of all, the month of Adar itself, and Purim Katan, and Shushan Purim Katan, etc. So there's a little bit more time to to feel Purim, and to connect to Purim. The Mimer that we're learning is the Mimer which is called the Mimer of Purim in Torah Ark. It's a mimer which captures the essence of Purim in the unique way that the Alter Rebbe does with every single Yom Tev. There are so many Yom Tevim that the way that we look at them superficially does not appreciate what the Yom Tev is about. And it's only through the study of Chassidus that we're able to have a proper insight to what that Yom Tov represents. The month of Elul, the way that the Alter Rebbe teaches us, how it's the Gili of the Yud Gimel Midas Arachamim, the 13 attributes of mercy, and it's the time of Melech Basada, the king in the field, something which now everybody knows about the month of Elul, that the month of Elul is Melech Basada. But that's something which the Alter Rebbe opened up for us. It's the same also with the Yom Tov of Purim, that the Yom Tov of Purim has on a surface level a gross underappreciation. It's not properly recognized for what it is. In fact, if you look at the Yom Tov of Purim on a very superficial level, it seems that the Yom Tov of Purim is just a day to relax and party. <laughs> In Yiddishkeit, there's no such a thing. Yiddishkeit is defined by Kovid Rish. Kovid Rish means that everything that we do is determined. Everything that we do is thought through. We never just let loose. Letting loose is the opposite of channeling godliness into the world, which is what we're here for. We're always carefully cognizant of what's on top of us. That's why men wear a yamulka to reflect constantly on what's on top of us. Shivisi Hashem Lunegdi Samid. I have to place Yudke Vavke in front of me constantly. I have to recognize constantly that the Abishter is right there looking at me and channeling through me. To let loose means to leave go of my connection 
which a yid never ever wants to do. Bechlal, drinking, is something which in the writings of the Rishonim, of the Paiskim, is spoken very negatively of. A yid doesn't get drunk. Because getting drunk is something which causes a person to lose control of his faculties. And the yid is never not in control of his faculties. A yid is always channeling his faculties in a way that is making sure that he's connected to Hashem. Ayid is always recognizing what his purpose here is right here, right now. And he can never lose sight of that. Which makes the vernacular of Purim very odd, very confusing. You dress up, you drink, you celebrate in a way of what seems externally to be kalos reish. Kalos reish, which is something which is the opposite of what Yiddishkeit is all about. The opposite of kaivid reish. Now, kaivid reish is not a contradiction to simcha. In fact, Serving Hashem with simcha, with joy, is something which is considered a basic aveda of ayid. The Rambam says that serving Hashem with simcha is from the most important divine services which we have. We should always have a simcha, the Tanya, throughout Tanya, the Alter Rebbe is teaching us how we're supposed to have a simcha in appreciating that we are the Ebishter's children who Hashem loves, who Hashem is giving himself completely for, and so on and so forth. So the Koivid Rosh, the seriousness that we're supposed to have in serving Hashem, doesn't mean lack of simcha. It means that that simcha should be focused. That simcha should be lifting us up. That simcha should be invigorating us to serve Hashem with even greater connection and greater feeling. But if that simcha, even a tiny little bit, is knocking us off course and causing us to lose sight of who we are and why we're here, then that simcha is completely opposite to anything which is Yiddishkeit. But on Purim, we have the statement, and this statement is what we open up the Mimer with, a statement from the Gemara. Page Tess. Page Tess in the, in the books. Chayiv Inish, a person is obligated, Levesumi, Levsumi, Rashi translates as lehistaker bayayin to get drunk on wine. Bipuria, Ampurim, 
until he doesn't know the difference between Ar Haman and Baruch Mardchai. Now, Bechlal, this is a very odd way to celebrate Purim. On Purim, we're celebrating the fact that Hashem saved us from the evil scheme of Haman, who wanted to annihilate us. And how do we celebrate it? By reaching a point where we're not able to know the difference between the heroism of Mardchai and the evil of Haman. Gee, thanks. <laughs> That's how we're appreciating the nace, the miracle that occurred for us. By reaching a point where we don't know the difference between Mardukhai and Amman. And besides, although, obviously, Chas V'Shalom, I never got drunk. But sometimes I drink a little bit more for if I bring in, for Purim, whatever it is. And say L'chaim. Chas V'Shalom, a Yid doesn't get drunk. Shikr is a guy. That's what they taught me in Chayda. Not point tips, you know. Like, where like it goes from you're drinking to you're drunk. Like what's it, what's like the mental? That's when you lose control of your faculties, and you no longer recognize your objective. If a yid chas v'shalom will start speaking in inappropriate ways etc., behaving in inappropriate ways, and so on and so forth, that means he's drunk. And that's us, sir. That's forbidden. I'm drunk when I haven't even had any drink. Okay, no, so then you have to work on that. But when I do say a little bit of l'chaim, I don't forget about the evil of Haman. On the contrary, it makes me hate Haman even more. It makes me disgusted with Haman even more. So how is drinking going to bring a person to a level of ad delay yada, where he doesn't know the difference between ar Haman and Baruch Mardukhai? And besides, as many um, halachic Um, commentaries have pointed out throughout the ages. This does not seem like an appropriate behavior for a Jew. And they struggle to appreciate how do you fit this in to practical behavior. Now, the way that this is expressed over here in the Mimer, let's read inside. We have to understand there is a mitzvah every yamtiv beyond the mitzvah which we have to be besimcha, to rejoice always in uh, every part of our divine service. We have to be besimcha. If do as Hashem besimcha, there's a mitzvah on yamtiv v'samachta bechagecha to rejoice specifically on yamtiv. But on yamtiv, this mitzvah of simcha is not to have such a great level of simcha of ad d'loyada. 
which is described over here in Purim, as we find with regard to other Yamim Toivim, even though they're Yamim Toivim, they are holidays, that there were miracles that occurred for our forefathers on those Yamim Toivim. Like on Pesach, Kriyas Yamsuf, Ubeshvuis, Matan Torah. These are great miracles. The splitting of the sea is a time when every single Jew was able to see with his own eyes godliness. The simplest maidservant standing by the ocean, by the, by the sea when it split, saw greater prophecy, greater visions of godliness than the greatest prophets, Yechezkel ben Buzi. On Shavuos we received the Torah. What greater joy is there for a Yid than having received the Torah? Seemingly on Shavuos we should celebrate in this way of Ad Dlayada if such a celebration is proper. And Ubimayla, when you're looking at the advantage of the day itself, it seems that that the holidays are even holier than Purim. Because on Pesach and on Shavuos, you're not allowed to do any of the Lamitas Melachis. That means it's a day of holiness where in order to be part of that holiness, you have to separate yourself from the world, from the 39 activities that engage in the world in order that you should be able to lift yourself up to this level. Masha'en came by Purim, in contrast to Purim, the Mardchai Gazar Vilaikiblu Alayu, that it's true that Mardchai wanted that Purim should be a Yamtiv, which is Asr Basyas Melacha. But the Jews did not accept it upon themselves. Could you imagine a Purim? Where you can't drive? <laughs> Some gazette. Some gazette. That might be safer. <laughs> the, truth, the truth is that my favorite Purim, yeah, two Purims. One Purim where there was a blizzard. Um, it was a blizzard in this whole area over here, in the, the New York, New Jersey area. And you could not drive. I drove anyways, but <laughs> you could not drive. It was, uh, um, the, 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 the snow was coming down so thick and so strong. Um, and the, but when I, uh, we went, we went on the Tzermt to an old age home with the kids in order to bring some joy over there. But then we came home and stayed home. And another perm, I came out and I started my car and it would not start. Mm. Someone tried to boost it and it would not boost. After perm, someone came and boosted it and started the problem. But on perm, it wouldn't start. So we stayed home the whole perm. And those were definitely my favorite perms. So I could appreciate Mardechai's wanting to be able to stay home. And Baruch Hashem, we live in Maristan. If you lived somewhere like Muncie or Lakewood, then the driving on perm is just a nightmare. The, the um, you can't go anywhere because everything is blocked up and everyone's stopping and going and delivering and so on and so forth. But Purim, the Purim that we experience is a Purim where we do Melacha 
And the melacha that we do is really a part of our celebration of Purim with the driving to deliver Shalach Manas and the other things that we do throughout the day. Because like Kiblu Alayu, the Jews did not accept upon themselves this desire of Purim, of Mardchai, that Purim should be a day where you're not allowed to do melacha. So that would seem to indicate that Purim does not have the same level of holiness that Yom Tov has, and yet the simcha, the rejoicing of Purim, is on a whole new level that we don't have on a regular Yom Tov. On a regular Yom Tov, the joy, despite being increased, is still limited, is still behagbala with a... Uh, a, a limitation, but when it comes to the joy of Purim, it's ad delayada without any limitation whatsoever. So this is what this mimer is going to be about. It's going to be teaching us what the yumtive of Purim is and why the way that we celebrate it is through a joy which is so intense and so great and so uplifted that it knows no boundaries. Not chas v'shalem, a joy which is letting loose and just completely letting go of myself, my cognizance, my recognition of the Eivishter, but a joy which is so connected to Hashem that it knows no boundaries, as we're going to explain in the Maimer. But before that, we first need to know what is Purim all about. And in order to know what is Purim about, the Mimer begins the next paragraph for Yuvan Bahakta. Yes, what what are you looking at? The English or the Hebrew? The Hebrew. Yeah, it should be. Uh, you, you, the, it's a little bit different. Sometimes there's some a, a few words over here and over there. And okay. in, in the coming days I'm gonna read from that document, but it's the same one. It should be. We'll understand through first prefacing. Inyan, the idea of The Jews accepted that which they began to do. This is a pasuk from the Megillah, from Megillah Sester, that says that the Jews accepted upon themselves what they started to do in that year of Purim. In other words, in the year of Purim, they celebrated Purim in a beautiful way with sharing gifts with each other, with giving gifts to the poor, with making um, festive meals and so forth. And they continued this in future years. They accepted to continue and celebrate Purim every single year in the same ways. That's the simple meaning. However, there's a deeper meaning of And that's the meaning that Chazal give for this Pasuk. The the explanation of what they began, That's at the time of Matan In other words, the Jews accepted by Purim, that which they began by Matan Torah. like our Chachamim teach on the Pasuk, Kimu v'kiblu ha-Yehudim, also another Pasuk which says that the Jews 
Kimu, they got up and Kiblu, they accepted Hayyudim, the Jews, Zalayim, Balzarim, on themselves and on their children. So again, the simple meaning is they accepted the celebration of Purim, but over there you see that Chazal teach us that what does it mean? It means Kimu, Mashakiblu, Kvar. They upheld Kimu, not they got up, but they upheld Mashakiblu, Kvar, that which they already accepted. So the simple meaning is they got up and they accepted. The deeper meaning is they upheld that which they already accepted. What does it mean they upheld that which they already accepted? When did we originally accept the Torah? In this week's Parsha, in Parsha's Mishpatim. In Parsha's Mishpatim, the Jews said, Nasa We're going to do whatever the Ebishter wants us to do. However, there was a problem with the Nasa Vinishma. Um, the problem is based on a Gemara in, in the Mesecha Shabbos, where the Gemara teaches on a Pasuk in last week's Parsha, by Yisyatsvu Yisrael Betach Sahar. says the Jews stood on the bottom of the mountain. And the Gemara interprets this. What does it mean the Jews stood in the bottom of the mountain? The simple meaning is that they stood at the foot of the mountain. But the Gemara interprets Betach Sahar under the mountain literally. That the Jews stood under the mountain. How did the Jews stand under the mountain? Hashem lifted up the mountain. He uprooted Har Sinai. And he held it over the heads of the Jews. And he told them if you're going to accept upon yourselves the Torah, great. But if not, I'm letting go. <laughs> so what choice did the Jews have at that point? Of course, they all said, Nasa We're going to do whatever Hashem says. Let's read inside. Ki bishas at the time of Matan Torah, kafa aleim har Hashem turned over the mountain, over their heads like an overturned barrel. Kafa lehem, he held the mountain over their heads like an overturned barrel. In other words, that he would drop it over them, on top of them. And the Gemara over there in Shabbos says, Umikan Raisa. Here you have the greatest excuse for Torah. What does it mean, the greatest excuse for Torah? It means that all of the Jewish lawyers can now defend us. And they can say that the reason why we did not properly keep Torah is because it was religious coercion. We never intended to sign on the dotted line. We were forced to. We didn't want to accept the Torah. Our arms were twisted behind our back. We had no choice. Over here you have a great excuse for not keeping Torah. So the whole Torah seemingly, the whole Nasa Vinishma is not properly binding because we were coerced into it. But don't get any grand ideas into your head. Because, because 
as the Gemara says, the Jews then accepted the Torah with love in the days of Achashverosh. That means in the days of Achashverosh, there was no mountain over their heads. And yet, Kimu v'kiblu Yehudim, the Jews upheld that which they already accepted. They upheld the Torah which they accepted. And they said, we love Hashem, we love His Torah, and we want to keep it. We want to continue to. And when they accepted the Torah then, that was not coerced, and therefore it was something which Now, what was this coercion which Hashem forced the Yidin to accept the Torah by, the, by, the, by Har Sinai? Why did Hashem force the Yidin at the time? Because they were getting cold feet. No. In fact, according to many explanations, really Hashem only held the mountain over their heads after they already said Nasa v'nishma. According to Chassidus, this holding the mountain over the Yidin's heads represents, the mountain represents love. There's connections between a mountain and love. Avram Avinu is compared to a mountain. And Avram is the midah of chesed, the midah of love. The mountain represents the intense love that Hashem feels for every Jew. And you remember, we've come across before the Pasuk that Shleim HaMelech says, Kamayim hapanim lepanim kein leva adam laadam. We had it in the Maimer, um, uh, Adam Kiyakriv. The way that water reflects a face, so too the heart reflects another heart. And the Vizir explained to us, this means that we reflect what Hashem shows us from above. In other words, when Hashem demonstrated His intense love for every one of us, we were overcome by this feeling of love and we had no choice, so to speak, but to respond in kind. We needed to turn to Hashem and express our love in return. What makes that not binding? Because it's like the chasna and kala under the chuppah. Which is pretty binding. Yes. But it doesn't, when they're saying at that point, yes, I'll be with you forever through thick and thin and so on and so forth. It doesn't properly appreciate the difficulties and the challenges which will occur later on. Not chas v'shalom to suggest that when the Yidin said nasa v'nishma, that they weren't properly accepting to be Yidin and it wasn't binding until the time of Purim. It's more that it did not yet stand the test of time. It did not yet experience a true challenge because standing in the romance, in the chuppah of Matan and expressing at that point, sure, Abishter, I love you and I'll do whatever you want, did not 
show, did not demonstrate that even when things are tough and things are rough and things are difficult, that the Jews are still ready to turn to Hashem and say, we'll do whatever you want. And that's why in the days of Achashverish that changed. It's like before I answer questions, I, let's just... But the way that the Mimer asks the question over here at this point is a very interesting way to express this following question. Let's read inside. V'tzarech lahavin, the Alter Rebbe asks us of in the Mimer, M'pnei ma nechshav ma shekafa lehem har chulu yoyser einesh why is the fact that Hashem held the mountain over the Jews' heads? Why is it considered more of an oinus, more forcing than that which occurred in the days of Achashverish? the action of Achashverish. So, what's the Mimer asking over here? It's asking that ultimately, the Jews were forced, in a sense, to uphold the Torah in the days of Achashverish as well. How come? Because the Jews were backed into a corner. Because of Achashverish's decree, because of his oppression of the Jews at the time, they were backed into a corner that they had no choice but to declare their Yiddishkeit, their Judaism, their commitment to Torah and Mitzvahs. There was no other way. Achashverish didn't leave them an opening the way that sometimes in Galus we have an opening that we can say, yeah, I'm a Jew in my heart, or something along those lines. Where we have an opening to not be as careful about Torah and mitzvahs because there's this way out. And in the days of Achashverish, they weren't allowed any way out. Achashverosh ruled over the whole entire world and he decreed that he's going to destroy every single Jew. And they had nothing to rely on, nothing to hold on to, nothing to say, yeah, that will save me, my bank account will save me, my um, uh, political connections will save me, etc., etc. They had nothing except for Torah and Mitzvahs, Ein Lanu Lehisha Ein we have nothing to lean on but our Father in Heaven. So the Mimer asks that seemingly the oinus of Achashverish also forced them to accept the Torah and it doesn't reflect real life, day-to-day life, when we can be lax in our Torah and mitzvahs. So it's still not a proper reflection of regular day-to-day life, even though it's the opposite extreme of Matan Torah. Matan Torah, the reason why it wasn't a reflection of day-to-day life was because of its chuppah, 
feeling, because of its romance, because of its beauty, because of the sparkle and the music and the confetti. And Purim, the reason why it wasn't reflective of day-to-day life was because of its extreme danger and its extreme oppression. But both of them are not, are seemingly not proper reflections of regular day-to-day life. Why are we asking Jesus? Why, why is it considered more force? Why is it considered more it's of God an... God holding a mountain over your head. It's uh, much uh, more forcing. Uh, no, it's not, because then, again, it's a different expression, but it's still an expression where it's taking away the normal free choice that a person has. Like to do or not to do. That was, yeah, that was my question. What? The, 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 oh, the, so good? It's the expression, you're saying that, how could it be that putting a mountain over, I mean, the concept of mountain, this could be expression of love, but putting it over and threatening is... So it's not the threatening, because it wasn't really a threat. According to the way Chassidus looks at it, it was the opposite of a threat. It was an embrace. And that's what the mountain overturned over their heads represents. It's an embrace for all the Jews, a huge hug. Pulling all the Jews into this huge hug. Now a hug itself is binding. Right? Mm. That's the difference between a hug and a kiss and other expressions of love. A hug pulls the other person in. Sometimes you hug your child and your child pulls away, right? But the, the, the hug pulls them in. That's what a hug is. That's what an embrace is. The Eibishter, by the time of Matan Torah, pulled us in. Achashverish, in the time of Purim, pulled us in also through narrowing us into this little corner that we had nowhere else to go. So the concept is the same, even though the expression is vastly different. That's how I understand this question over here in the Mimer. What would have happened if the Jews didn't accept the Torah? If the Jews had not accepted the Torah? Mm-hmm. So on Friday night, we lift up the kais and we say, Yoim Hashishi, right? Which it doesn't say by any of the other days of creation, only by the sixth day of creation does it say it with a hey, Hayedia, this sixth day. And Chazal teach us that the reason why we call it this sixth day is because the whole entire world was standing with bated breath until the Jews accepted Shabbos, until the Jews accepted the Torah. Because had the Jews, which would have been impossible, practically, as we're saying, we had to accept the Torah, we could not accept the Torah. But had the Jews said, no thank you, we prefer not like the other nations said, you can keep your Torah and we'd rather go our own way, then the entire world in the language of Chazal would have been returned to toihu vavayu, to nothingness, to the same nothingness that it was before. And this is in fact something every single time you study Torah, you have to recognize that in the study of Torah, you're upholding the existence of the world as we learned in the last Maimar, that the chayos, the life energy of the whole entire world, is dependent upon the slightest nuance of Torah. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Jews did accept the Torah. The Jews had to accept the Torah. 
but seemingly at the time of Achashverosh, they also had to accept the Torah. And we're going to explain the difference between the Oynas, the had to accept the Torah of Matan Torah, and the had to accept the Torah of Purim, and why the had to accept the Torah of Purim is bringing out the depths, the continuity, the dedication to this acceptance in a way which is greater than the time of Matan Torah. Curious question: Is it true that uh, we have differences in, in time in every country? So there is always a place that people are studying Torah. Definitely. Is it curious? Okay. Um, and and by the way, on Purim, which is a day when people are so busy, it's one of the busiest days of the year, Purim, if not the busiest day of the year. And there seems to be less time to study. It's so much more important to study a little bit on Purim, at least a little bit, to make sure that the Torah continues to exist. Okay, but that's a Maimah Muska. Now, we're going to take a turn in this Maimah and we're going to start a new subject. It's not a new subject. It's a subject which is going to help us appreciate what the Yom Tov of Purim is really about. And if we understand what the Yom Tov of Purim is really about, then we'll be able to understand the answer to all of the questions we just asked. So the topic we're going to be studying now, through the coming pages of the Maimah, the coming days of this class, is going to be the topic of Torah. What is Torah? And through understanding Torah, we'll understand what it means to accept Torah, and we'll understand what the uniqueness of accepting Torah on Purim is, and how that accepting Torah on Purim actually reflects the essence of what um, of what Matan Torah of, of what Purim, excuse me, is all about. But first, vihine mitchila first. And we have to understand Mahu Inyan Matan What's the idea of Matan In Parshas Yisrael, Parshas Mishpatim, we learn how the Abishter gave us the Torah, and this was a momentous event in the history of the Yidin. It's what made us into Jews. It was a transformative event in the history of the world. It's the only time that God actually revealed himself to all of mankind, and specifically to the Jewish people, and spoke to the Yidin and told the Yidin, this is what you have to do. But what is this Matan Torah? What was this great event? So I don't know if you watched the movie, The Ten Commandments. I never did. But Matan Torah was a Hollywood-worthy um, production. Mm-hmm. It was lightning and thunder and tumults and shaking and so on and so forth. It was huge. Was the, 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 there was this huge... Um, shake that went into the very fiber of the whole entire world. A whole world was silent as Hashem spoke and said, But what really was taking place then? What really happened? 
we know that Torah was studied from the very beginning of creation. When Hashem created Adam, He placed him where? In Ganeidem, and He said, "La'avda u'leshamra, la'avda leshamra." Chazal teaches, "La'avda." This is mitzvah. I say positive commandments. Leshamra is mitzvah. I say negative commandments. That means Adam Harishon in Ganeidem was already studying Torah. Mm-hmm. We know that um, uh, Shem Ben Noach had a yeshiva. And this is a yeshiva where the Aves, Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov studied. All of them studied in this yeshiva of shame Ve'ever. We know that the Aves, that, that the, 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 the Shivteka, the Shvatim, studied Torah from Yaakov Avinu. And specifically throughout the Galus and Mitzrayim, Levi was not subject to the Shibud, to the hard work in Mitzrayim, because he was busy studying Torah. And this idea that a Torah scholar, that a yeshiva student is exempt from the requirements, the national uh, um, uh, service. service that others are needed to do is something which is all the way back there. Is all the way in Mitzrayim. Even Pari in Mitzrayim recognized that Shevet Levi is exempt from national service. So the Torah is something which was studied throughout all the ages. Kiyem Avram Avinu Kol HaTorah Kula Avram Avinu fulfilled the whole entire Torah Vafilu Eruv Tavshilin He even fulfilled mitzvahs Dirabanan Rabbinic mitzvahs he fulfilled. That shows you the extent of the Torah that he was able to study. So what happened by Mat? Of course, what happened by Mat and Torah? What changed? The Eibushter gave us the Torah, but we had the Torah already. So what was this big Hollywood production by Harsinai when Hashem gave us the Torah? That's the question. Mahu Indian Mat and Torah. What's the idea of Mat and Torah? And also, we have to understand. But we see that shame had a yeshiva. And that the Aves the, the, the studied in that yeshiva. And that Avraham Avinu fulfilled the whole entire Torah. So that means we had it way before the year 2248. So what occurred then when Hashem gave us the Torah? Vigam and also Masha'amir Razal, that the Chazal say, Ash Ashrei mi Shabal Lekan Biyade. It says, Praised be he who comes here, that means to the world to come, with his study in his hands. That means that there's a certain praise for someone who studies Torah here in this world and then he takes it in his hand, so to speak. It's the only thing you take up with you. You don't take up pizza. You don't take up bank accounts. You don't take up computers. 
The only thing that you take up with you is this Talmud, the Torah that you studied here in this world. And Chazal say, That praised be he who comes here with this Torah that he studied in this world, in our world, that he comes to Ganeiden. He arrives in Ganeiden with this Torah study in his hand. But the Mimer asks that the Torah study of Ganeiden is so much greater than the Torah study that we study here in this world. How can it be praiseworthy to bring the Torah study of this world to Ganeiden? What advantage can it possibly have? That's like saying that somebody who comes to a college-level class on calculus with his doodles from kindergarten is ashray, is praised. What type of praise can there possibly be? What kind of advantage? What kind of benefit can there possibly be in bringing the Talmud, the Torah study that you have in this world, to Ganeiden, where halay beGaneiden, in Ganeiden misangim, we get pleasure migili or ein seif baruchu from this movie which is playing in Ganeiden called or ein seif, the infinite light, blessed be he. It's a constant movie which is showing us giluyim revelations from the infiniteness of Abishter. and here we're bringing with what the Mishnah that we were able to understand about Makif and Nikif, about uh, which days we read the Megillah on. What is it Shaykh? How can we possibly come to Ganeiden and say that if you have the Torah study, the Talmud the Torah study from this world, then it's ashray, it's something which is praiseworthy. Shame halachish and Islam shubinyanim gashmim. The Torah that we study here in this world is the halachis that are clothed inside of physical things. That the Torah, in order to be understood here in this world, it speaks about a shar and a para, about an ox and a cow. It speaks about the cloth of a, of a tefillin and the shoelaces that we tie when we get dressed in the morning. These physical things, which in Ganeiden are completely insignificant, are completely irrelevant. It's a place where the neshama is outside of any goof, any body, any physicality, and the Torah that it's able to appreciate is on a level that can never be recognized and conceived by the neshama inside of the body. Okay? So question number one, what is Matan Torah? Question number two, why does it say that praise be he who comes to Ganeiden with their Torah study in their hand? The Gam, question number three, Masha Amir Razal, our sages teach us, Shakal Misha Efshar Leilasik Vitaravainesek, anybody who Efshar Leilasik, he is able. Lasik Batera to study Torah. Ve'enay Isaac and he does not study Torah. Allah Nemar with regard to him it says Kidvar Hashem Biza the 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 word of Hashem he has insulted. He kares he should be completely wiped out. 
He should be completely wiped out. That means that a person who wastes a moment of Torah study is warned with the severest of punishments. And this is something which is very difficult to understand. Because the discrepancy between the different levels of Torah study seem not to make sense. If Torah study is so vital and so important that I can't waste even a single moment, it's like holding my breath, then how could it be that some people fulfill their whole entire obligation of Torah study through a short time in the morning and a short time in the evening. Since someone who it's impossible for him to study so much Torah, he fulfills his obligation through one chapter in the morning and one chapter in the evening. If so, why should someone who is able to study Torah and he does not study Torah, why should his punishment be so severe? of Hikaris to Karis Hulu to say about him that he gets cut off completely. And this is the third question which we're asking over here. Um, we'll stop over here for today and continue tomorrow in exploring Torah and what Torah is to be able to appreciate the Yom Tavukur.